This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. And I'm Jarrett Murphy from City Limits, and we're talking NYCHA today on the podcast. And we're pleased to be joined by Mr. Danny Barber, who's the chair of the Citywide Council of Presidents of NYCHA Tenant Associations. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. He's joined by Ellie Hecht from At-Risk Community Services. How are you guys doing? Good. Thanks for joining us. Talking about NYCHA and tenants and the many things that have been in the news over the past few months. Uh, And your co-plaintiffs. Co-plaintiffs in the lawsuit. But just to kind of lay the groundwork, tell us about CCOP and the tenant associations. A lot of folks may not know who they are, what they do, and what your role in that is. All right. What the CCOP is, is the CCOP consists of nine district chairs. That's Manhattan North and South, Bronx North and South. You have Queens, Staten Island, Brooklyn East, West, and South. That makes up the Citywide Council of Presidents, which is acronym of CCOP. And what they do is, um, the CCOP is the jurisdictional-wide body elected by the resident leadership on a district level. So in order to be a CCOP chair, you have to be a district chair. And how I got appointed as the head of CCOP is my my eight colleagues from the district voted and chose me to be the leader for the whole city of New York. So we did it. I won unanimously, and I'm here today to fight for the residents of public housing, where I currently reside and where I call home. And which development? And I live in the Andrew Jackson Houses in the South Bronx on Cortland Avenue. And the presidents in the CCOP acronym, those are the presidents of tenant associations that each NYCHA development has. Yes. Could you talk more about that? Because they have a formal role in in NYCHA, don't they? Well, technically by right, the government, the federal government, HUD 24 CFR 964 regulations state that we're partners. We're supposed to sit down with the New York City Housing Authority from thought process to completion of job. And NYCHA has not honored that. They're in total violation of all federal regulations. They know that they're in violation, but until CCOP takes a a jump at that, NYCHA will continue to go. But we've been working with our attorneys to, to get things guided back on track on where they should be. So we haven't had much success. Rome wasn't built in a day. Um, But we're pushing towards the right way to be. And if NYCHA's going to hold us to the regulations and that govern us both, then by all means, we see the court is fair. If we have to go back into court with this, then by all means, no hesitations, will we? And if it's HUD that's not stepping up, (laughs) <laughs> you can be at it too. And Ellie, tell us about At-Risk Community Services and how you come to this to this conversation. So At-Risk Community Services is a not-for-profit entity. Um, it's actually a spin-off of, of, a, of a social service agency that um, has a number of programs across New York. And we happen, one of them happens to be daycares in NYCHA. And we've um, been in NYCHA for um, about eight, uh, six years now. 
and we've developed a relationship with many of the presidents. And what we what we found is that you have CCOP on one side of the of the table, and you have NYCHA at the other side of the table. NYCHA has seventy in-house attorneys. They have ten thousand employees. They have a nine billion dollar budget, and these guys have nothing. So we've been working uh, on a volunteer basis to provide a CCOP with free legal and accounting services. And at some point, it just became clear that if I'm sitting across the table from NYCHA, they don't respect who I am or anything about me, so they're not going to talk to me. So that's part of why we initiated this lawsuit. And you know, part of what we're asking for is the ability to, have, to sit at that table, for CCOP to sit at that table properly the way they are supposed to be. And, and do what? I mean, what properly sit at the table and weigh in on what? All decision-making, from start to finish. To become a decision-maker as the government insisted when they put the bill into effect. We are legitimately partners and stakeholders in public housing. And if the government say we have the right to organize and we have the right to formulate and but we have rules and regulations that we must adhere to. It can't it can no longer continue to be the the little th cliche that I've been saying in all the interviews and the press conferences, the tale of the two cities. Mm -hmm. It can't. It cannot honestly no longer be that way because everything that we've proven and we've shown through the, the governor coming out to see the conditions the residents live in, there's nothing that's been factual. I mean, it's all have been factual, pardon me. It's all been factual. Nothing has been fiction. Mm -hmm. Everything we've given you, you can see it with your own eyes. If anyone wants to go out to a public housing residence apartment to see for themselves some of the conditions... Reach out. Give me a couple of days to set it up and whatnot. I'm pretty sure the residents are tired. They never jumped up and they moved before because it wasn't their time to stand up. The residents had to get to the point where they said enough was enough and they were no longer. They had to get that straw to break that camel's back. And it seems like that was something of the combination of the lead testing issues and then the heat and hot water outages sort of got got things to this breaking it was, point? It or? was before that. Mm -hmm. It was before that. I would say that the lead issues with the chairwoman signing yeah. documentation fraudulently, um, then with the uh, going 320,000 apartments with heat and hot water complaints from October to January and still to present day because in Andrew Jackson houses, I have two buildings that still don't have hot water back from then when they, it went off in December the 27th. They still don't have hot water, but they their rent, they can't say, can I get an abatement? That's another interesting discussion. I know that's, that's on the table, mm -hmm. but Jerry, you were going to... Yeah, I'm curious. The do you feel that most NYCHA residents feel that their tenant association and CCOP as an umbrella body speak for them? Because I've heard from even some TA presidents themselves, and this goes back to your predecessor, but that they don't always have 
great visibility. The elections for new officers aren't always well attended. Do you think that they have that legitimacy? They do. They do. And it's basically because in the past, people tend not to be as vibrant and jubilant to jump up and to stand up for the causes. So that came all the outside entities to stand up and speak on behalf of the residents in public housing. Resident leadership and resident leadership really started stepping up once the the, the hearing with the lead testing and like we were saying about all the complaints about the heat and I thank the city council for giving a solid concrete number of actually how many units it were that complained for months about no heat and hot water. We thank them because for me as a citywide chair, I might get led around the table or ran around the room, but I'm not given that accurate number. So we tend to put our elected officials on the emails when we send them to NYCHA with complaints because that tends to be the only way that we can get an answer. Now, whether it's an honest, a truthful, or legitimate answer, that's another story. Also, I think to, to, what your, to what your question really is, is I think it would be fair to say that NYCHA has been systematically trying to cut the legs out of the tenant representation process and making CCOP irrelevant. They, they want to be able to say... We have included all the residents in, in our decision-making by having an outreach at some random place that three people come to, and then they check off a box that says, oh, we, we reached out to the tenants. It is not in their best interest to have a strong CCOP, and I, they have worked very hard to make sure that that is not the case, that there is no strong central leadership. Part of what Danny has been working very hard to accomplish is to try to get everybody back into a, a more uniform representation so that... Um, the residents are they're a voice, a solid unified voice. Where do you situate the the controversy that began in the fall around lead paint and obviously over the winter about the heat and hot water, those issues, in terms of NYCHA's kind of trajectory over the past, say, 10 years? I mean, you've lived there for, for a very long time. You've been involved you said, for, for six years or mm -hmm. so. I mean, in general, have things been been generally getting worse? Have there been any progress under Mayors Bloomberg or de Blasio toward making the maintenance system more responsive? They say that there has been. How do you characterize the overall trend? I love Bloomberg. Why? thought he was a great man. I just thought he was a great man, but I didn't agree with a lot of his decision that he made. It went downhill with Bloomberg. It really started going downhill when he took all... Well, it, it really went downhill with Giuliani when he had NYCHA residents, the only residents in New York City, paying twice for borderline services. So what I mean is pilot, payment in lieu of taxes, where we were paying twice as a citizen... And then as a NYCHA residence, we were paying twice for police services, where even though Mayor de Blasio suspended the $57 million that they paid to the police department for services to NYCHA, 
No one has yet to say it, and I'll probably get hounded and crucified later, but ah, it's on the record. <laughs> we, NYCHA still pays for the insurance and registration of the police cars for the life of the car. The mayor didn't suspend that. NYCHA still takes care of the police stations, the public service area. So when it snows, they're responsible for plowing the parking lot. They're responsible for cleaning the sidewalks. When the elevator in the public service area breaks down, NYCHA's responsible for fixing the elevators. So what did the mayor really, when we've been telling the mayor that it's well over a hundred and something million, everyone in the city says, no, it's 50 million, it's 57 million, but we still, as residents of New York City, pay twice for services. And that's, in New York, I thought that was called double dipping. So just on that front a little bit uh, more, both of you, you know, this mayor came in and put forth with Chair uh, Olatoye this big next generation NYCHA plan. Uh, as you said, relieve some of the NYBD p uh, payments, but that's an interesting point about, but about other costs. Um, dozens and dozens of planks to this plan, uh, put some other budgetary funds towards NYCHA, et cetera, et cetera. Is it your estimation that it's a land that's grab. mostly w window it's, dressing? It's a land grab. What is he doing? He's selling off public land to private developers. The claim is, is that, oh, we're going to get all this money and it's, you know, the federal government is cutting our budget and this one's cutting our budget. There's no money. There's $9 billion a year going into NYCHA. There is no shortage of money. There's a shortage of properly spending that money. The idea now that you're going to take public land and sell it off to private developers and now some of the hottest areas in, in Brooklyn, in Bushwick they're doing it, in Williamsburg, what are they doing? They're, they're going to put up you know, they're going to put up nice buildings. They're going to be half market rate and half low income, and guys are going to make fortunes. It's a land grab, and God, God knows where that money is going. It's not going to go to the residents. It's just not. Well, I think that's yet to be seen, but if that money does go, as they say, as part of the plan, that that revenue, and, and they're leasing the land, right? That, that One dollar a year for 99 Sure, years. sure, but, but I, I suppose the point is that, you know, the land is not the ownership of the land is not transferring possession, but At this uh, point. in in operational uh, effect, the land will be controlled by whoever is developing mm -hmm. it. But if the revenue does go towards NYCHA, you don't think that that's a that's a wise path to try to get an influx of funds. Absolutely your your not. position is they should not be going down that road. They should be better utilizing the money that is currently there. NYCHA cannot manage itself as it is. So pumping more money into NYCHA is not going to solve the problem. The governor is spot on when he wants to take operational control of the spending of money out of NYCHA's hands. And in fact, it's not just the governor who came up with this brilliant idea on his own, where in fact you had Ben Carson in the Wall Street Journal, I think it was a week and a half ago, saying, we're not letting NYCHA spend money anymore unless they prove it with us. Well, whether that's going to work, it's another layer of government, I don't know. But they have come to the realization that NYCHA is not spending properly. Where is it, Miss, if, if it's yeah, $9 billion, Mr. Barber, where are they misspending the money? They misspend it all over. I mean, the, the, first of all, NYCHA's procurement process is horrible. 
because I mean, when as a resident leader we get we we get funds through tenant participation from HUD, which is twenty five dollars per dwelling unit, and when we tend to want to order from a vendor somebody like a Staples, where we can get something dirt cheap, we're forced to use um, a NYCHA vendor that's going to charge double or triple times over. So I wanted to get some folding folding chairs and tables for my development. Um, we needed the chairs, and I wanted to get like 10 tables and 100 chairs. And through Staples, I believe it came out to about 1500 Through NYCHA, it was 1500 just for the tables. And then it was an additional 2700 for the chairs. So I'm paying $3,500 more than going to Staples where I can go and I can get it at basically at cost. NYCHA tends to always go with the most. And they use old world procurement states that we have to do this and follow that. No, NYCHA misuses. Now multiply that by a million, and you have that for every project that they're working on. We were saying a little bit before in the pre-show a little bit, we were talking about this. It, I could only imagine what would happen if I, NYCHA was, was, was financially audited, where, where, where all the streams, what it would show. And not them doing the audit. They did their last audit. How could you do a forensic audit of yourself? Hmm. So the narrative over the past several years has been that the federal government, by paying less in operating funds and the formula indicates by giving less in capital money that the state by cutting direct support during the Pataki administration, that the city by pulling out during Bloomberg, that all that, including the pilot payments, has helped to create the crisis in NYCHA. I, what I'm hearing here is that the crisis is, is internal to their management problem and, and the money stuff doesn't, doesn't matter. I mean, NYCHA says right now, the chairwoman says that they have, they have a... a, a uh, extra monies that they were able to save. So it, it goes a little further back. What everyone tends to forget is the develop, there were 21 city and state developments that NYCHA went back in 2011, 2012 to get privatization for, and they had to go into an agreement with the banking system to find a partner. I believe Citigroup, mm -hmm. Chase, J.P. Morgan Chase, on um, Wells Fargo with some of the people. NYCHA chose Citigroup. Citigroup, it fell apart. Wells Fargo picked up Drew Hamilton and a couple other places. But with that, the 21 city and state developments were neglected by the city and the state. And NYCHA was forced to be a parent and take care of those 21 city and state developments with the money, the capital plant monies and operating monies that HUD gave you, even though they were not funding those developments, for all of those years, for some 10, 11 years, NYCHA was taking care of those developments with those monies. And what everybody talks about when they get up and talk about how disinvestment in NYCHA and all that, we're forgetting about that. Then we got to realize how the city never stepped up. It took Christine Quinn as the speaker to put up the $10 million for the apprenticeship program 
to give NYCHA residents the opportunity to go into um, painters and plasters apprenticeship programs. And then she did the Caretaker M program where people can train to become maintenance workers and you follow a maintenance worker. It's little things like that that reinvested back into NYCHA. It was the first forms of monies that the city put in in years. Now, what the monies that we've been getting, scraps maybe here or there from the state once in a blue moon and then promises and it comes back, this money the governor's put up has been considered one of the first. And he said it in his speeches that they don't take care of housing authorities, but he's invested in NYCHA. So let's follow that last thought there. Um, Governor Cuomo has obviously very recently said... I'm stepping in here on NYCHA. Um, there has been a little, some money towards NYCHA in the last couple of state budgets that apparently hasn't fully been spent yet. So now he's pushed through an additional 250 million. He's saying it's about a total of 550 million that can be spent. Uh, executive order, et cetera, et cetera. The, the moves by the governor you've welcomed. Mm -hmm. um, I saw... I know, Danny, you were with him at the executive order signing. Were you there as well? Yeah, we were yes. there. Okay. So, so, Ellie, talk a little bit about the governor's involvement. Is this totally welcome and the right way to do things? The mayor's been very skeptical. The mayor's also said this looks like more like photo ops. And, you know, the governor just discovered uh, public housing, it seems. He hasn't even been able to get the money spent from previous budgets. Mm -hmm. What's your... So, so we welcome it. I mean, in the end, the governor has put forth $550 million to spend, and he wants to spend immediately. His executive order uh, is, is relatively broad-based. It allows for spending of that 550 It seems to allow for the spending of even more. It gives the monitor power to take a look at what's happening at NYCHA and perhaps make some uh, recommendations as, to, as for fixes. Um, how it will happen in, in reality, I, I guess to some extent that's for all the parties who are a part of that executive order to come together and make it work. If the mayor is skeptical, well, he's a part of the process now. He is a one-third piece of that process with, with Danny and with the city council. They have to come up, and we have to come up with a monitor. We have to make sure it's a monitor that's outside of the, the existing NYCHA machine because you need someone with fresh eyes to come in and make sure that it's not going to the same old and the same old. So this is separate from your lawsuit, right? This is not, this is obviously, you know, a government action. Right. It's not your lawsuit, but your, the lawsuit has a different goal. Yes. And this is the governor coming in with yes. other uh, plans that you're welcoming. So you said the three entities have to come together by the executive order. The mm -hmm. governor has basically said you three groups or representatives, the mayor, the city council speaker, and uh, the citywide council of presidents of NYCHA, Decide on a monitor together by 60 days, or or I will, I guess. Um, he said, and and then that person is go or that entity is going to then oversee the spending of this money. And you said there could be there are some vagaries in some of the language of the order. We have to see exactly how it's interpreted. That's correct. And so, what do you what are you looking for in a monitor? What is the hope here from your perspective, both of you, or maybe it's you have different perspectives? But what are your perspectives on? what this monitor should look like. So it, it has to be somebody who understands the problem, 
who is going to put their best efforts into making sure that the, the okay so like one thing so there's 550 million to be spent immediately it's a dro it's a drop in the bucket as to the amount of money that's needed to fix all the problems but there are 550 can can fix a lot of problems it could fix a lot of boilers it could remediate a lot of toxic mold it can remediate a lot of toxic lead the, the, let's get some fixes Let's get some fixes. Let's get a monitor who's going to go in there and work with the contractor and make sure that the work is being done expeditiously within and his budget. order also suspends some of these onerous yes. procurement So processes. design build allows for and speedy and in our days that the money should get spent without the three-year all that nonsense procurement. It even to some extent allows you not to necessarily pick the lowest bidder if you feel that there's somebody who's going to do the job better, although I, obviously NYCHA never picks the lower bidder, but just get the work done. The immediate urgency is to get the work done. Start making fixes. It should also help, look, if all the parties are talking and getting an agreement, the lawsuit is a means to an end. The end is for NYCHA to behave. NYCHA to do all the things it's supposed to do. It's about lead, it's about mold, it's about vermin, it's about, it's about heat. It's also about tenants being part of the process, both in the decision-making side, as they're required by federal law, but also on the job side. There's $4.5 billion of work that's supposed to be done every year by NYCHA. They're supposed to be hiring residents, and they're supposed to be hiring contractors that are going to give jobs to residents. Contractors are end-arounding that process by claiming that all these jobs are union jobs, and sorry, we can't hire you, you're not a union member. Well, why don't you hire them and make them a union member? They're a union member. So they're end-arounding the process by giving them, if they start a new process and they only need to hire one part, night watchman, so they give the job to a resident and they say, oh, we hired one person for this project and it's a night watchman and therefore we're 100% in compliance, everybody we hire is a resident. It's nonsense. There are 50 people working on the job. None of them are residents except for this night watchman. And every time a resident leader gets up and says, I want you to hire my people, Mm, you're not a union member, so we can't hire you. Is there any tension between the urgency to get the work done and the desire to train people for these jobs who are residents? We have residents that are trained, but NYCHA doesn't give those residents the opportunity. They go basically and solely on the statistics that they get. We see in the last couple of months that a lot of what NYCHA throws out there has been fictitious. So we it makes us as residents to 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 beg and to to see are you really telling the truth with the figures that you're given? Because every audit that Scott Stringer gives and has done thus far contradicts everything that you mm -hmm. say. Everything this next generation NYCHA that you went on is 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 a fosk. That is just a way to, to get all of that land from Bloomberg's infill program, which de Blasio ran his campaign on, Tales of Two Cities, and no, we can't let that happen. And what did he do? He came in and he changed the name of it and just called it Next Generation NYCHA. And you're telling residents that you're taking a parking lot because it's underutilized, but when you really look at it, NYCHA, you outsource the the parking a lot to LAZ. LAZ is the company that operates it, and they're horrible. They're horrible because you have one resident, you have 
like six, seven residents book for one spot. Resident leaders reach out to Laz to work out their disagreements. No one calls you back. You reach out to NYCHA, no one calls back. And NYCHA is supposed to be the, the in-between between all of these people. We have rights under HUD regulations, and NYCHA has stripped our rights. And Bloomberg gave our community centers the DYCD. He gave our senior centers to DIFTA, where our residents are treated horrible. And on that point, by the way, just so that you know, we, we've had residents who have told us they've asked for spots in certain lots. They're told there are no spots. And then, there were t and then afterwards, it comes out that they're saying there's no, there's no need for parking there. And then they get the lot. So, so we're going to be in our last few minutes, yeah. and I'll turn it over to you, Jared. But, it, you know, this is, this is fascinating to me because I, have, I don't think I've heard anybody really talk about, and maybe you have in your reporting at City Limits, but... You know, I don't think I've heard people talk about that these parking lots would be better utilized if they were better managed. I don't think I've, I've heard that. I think, you know, it's very interesting to hear you guys talk about uh, your problems with the, you know, the de Blasio version of infill, which, which has some significant differences with the Bloomberg plan, but still to be opposed to it when, uh, you know, NYCHA has these problems. But, but I guess that aligns with your argument that it's not really a funding issue. It's it's about management and, and how it's spent. And it's how you bully tactics. They're being bullies. They went into, everything is about this PLA, this project labor mm. agreement that they went into with the, with the building trades union. That's against federal law. How can, how can a, uh, an agreement between city agencies supersede a federal mandate? I want to ask you about the union angle because mm -hmm. you know there's the the state monitor has now been imposed. I know in the lead litigation that predates all of this, there's like a special master or a monitor imposed there. There's a possibility of another federal monitor being applied. And one question I have about the state monitor is whether they would have or whether they should have the ability to abrogate union contracts or whether one of the other supervisory monitors should have that. In other words, we've heard that Shola Olate might welcome the ability to get around some of the union contracts that she now has to deal with. Do you feel like the, the unions and their involvement in NYCHA is a major obstacle to getting this work done? Yeah, I mean, NYCHA has workers. I mean, in NYCHA's workers, they're in the union, they're local and whatnot. Um, but it's it's but to monopolize work and say that you residents can't have the opportunity to become sustainable, to be able to get better employment, to be able to have their dream fulfilled, to have that White House with the picket fence. Why everyone can't have a dream and try to achieve that dream? NYCHA does not systematically allow us to stand up. They knock us down every time we get up. Mm -hmm. Anyone in NYCHA that shows any type of friendship towards the residents, they're either demoted or fired. And yeah, I, it was it was one of the more remarkable, and you know, as I've sort of indicated, some some of what you're saying is a little bit surprising to me, or doesn't quite match some of the things that you know. I've thought made sense about some of what the Blasio administration has put forward, um, but we can discuss that uh, a lot longer than we have time for today. But um, 
you know, one of the most interesting moments for me in all of this was at a press conference I was at where the mayor was asked, do you think the residents of public housing deserve the same standard of living as, uh, you know, people in private housing? And he gave a very um, sort of measured answer that wasn't yes. And it was really a remarkable moment. I'm pretty sure the Daily News, you know, picked up on it and, and wrote about it. Um, you know, he obviously wants to point to historical issues with NYCHA, but it was a really, you know, just to go to your point about people and having a standard of living and an opportunity to, you know, move up, you know, you can't do a lot of that if you're worried every day about your roof caving in, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I think uh, you want to take us out, Jared, with, sure. a, with a final question? A final question, I guess, for both of you, and it's a simple one, and I'm curious, both your answers and both these questions, uh, should, should Chairwoman Shola Olatie go? And do you trust Governor Cuomo, Danny? <laughs> Good questions. <laughs> you want me to handle that? <laughs> no, I'm gonna answer it. I'm just looking at, at you <laughs> as my attorney. <laughs> well, I think well, the Shola answer is, is is easy. Yeah, Shola definitely. When Shola came in in 2014, and she came to meet the resident advisory board. My question to her, what is going to make you any different than any other chair that was here? Are you going to listen to the residents? She promised to listen to us. She promised to dialogue with us. She promised not to make that her first and final time that we met. Shola and I used to have a relationship where she would call on a weekend, on a Sunday to hear my concerns that we face during the week. But the minute that you get louder than NYCHA's plan or anything they're doing, you're shut down, you're blackballed, you're ostracized. So what I say, and to answer your question, you can blackball Danny Barber, you can ostracize Danny Barber. Danny Barber doesn't need to be a citywide chairman to get his point across. And whatnot, when Danny Barber determines and decides that he's going to go, he moves on one thing and one thing only, and that's the will of God. And there hasn't been one man alive that can stop the will of God. So, do I trust the, the governor? I, I, I would hope that all of the governor's actions are straightforward with great intentions because these are the people who seek political office. I don't. I'm a resident, I'm a, a citizen, and I, I believe in fighting for what's right for the people. And if it's an injustice by Shola, by the governor, by the mayor, by whoever, I'm gonna stand up and fight for what's right for the people. Well, Danny Barber from CCOP, the Citywide Council of Presidents of NYCHA Tenant Associations, thank you so much for joining us. And Ellie Heck from At-Risk Community Services, thank you as well. Thank you very thank much you for having us. Thank you for having us.